today we're starting the book of Daniel. Uh, so uh, don't worry, we will not be in Daniel as long as we were in John. Um, so uh, what our plan going through Daniel is basically we're going to take a chapter um, a week and, uh, and see what it is that the Lord has for us in that chapter. Um, so we'll be ca- covering Daniel chapter 1 um, today. But a good thing to do when we start to look at a new book of the Bible is to understand kind of where this book fits in the whole story. Um, so in the whole narrative of scripture, where does Daniel fit in? Um, because if we don't understand that, we're probably going to have understand, trouble understanding exactly what's going on there um, as we look at the book. And so Daniel fits in in that time period uh, where so Israel had already become a nation. God had established them. They'd been in the promised land. Um, they did the whole judges thing. They kept getting it wrong. Uh, then they did the whole kings thing, um, and they kept getting it wrong. And God said, hey, here's what's going to happen. You keep getting it wrong. You're not listening to me. You're not following me. You're not obeying me. Uh, so I'm going to punish you. And I'm going to punish you uh, by having another country conquer you. Um, and through the prophet Jeremiah, he told him it was going to be, um, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 70 years, right, that they're going to be in exile. Um, and so uh, Daniel comes into the, the picture right at that point where the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered uh, by the Assyrians. Um, but now the southern kingdom of Judah has just been conquered by Babylon. Um, And so what we see in Daniel is the account of Daniel and his friends as they go into captivity in Babylon. So they are a conquered people. Um, They are basically slaves that are hauled off um, to go serve Babylon. Okay, so that's where where we fit in um, the, the narrative of the Bible and the story of what's going on. And of course, all of this. It's before Jesus comes. So that's why we're in the Old Testament, um, not the New. Also in biblical uh, studies terms, you might have heard of major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, Daniel is one of the last of the major prophets. Um, major because of length of the book, not because of importance. Uh, but, uh, but out of the major prophets, he is one of the shorter ones. So, um, so there you go. Let's jump in and see what we see here in the first couple of verses of Daniel 1. Daniel 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, so what we see here right off the start is Daniel's perspective on what has happened. One, it's important to note here that this is saying this is historical. What we're about to read, what we're about to see in the book of Daniel is something that happened. It happened at a specific time. It happened when specific things were going on. Okay, So what we read in Daniel is not just you know, figures of speech and stories and illusions and, and these kind of things, um, even though the first six uh, chapters of Daniel do have some of the best-known stories, probably. They make the cut in almost every uh, kid's storybook Bible. 
um, out there, right? So um, who, who can beat Daniel in the lion's den or uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? Like those are just great stories that, that kids really latch on to. Um, but they're not just stories, they're historical events that took place. Um, and even as we look at the, once we get past those six to the last six chapters, where we see these harder to understand chapters where even Daniel says, I don't know what I'm talking about here because um, it's so confusing. Um, we get to those visions and those kind of things still that's written in the context of this is historical, um, even though some of it is historical future. So, so that can make you really think. Um, and and so, so as we come to Daniel, don't just treat it as oh, here's just a, an allegory or a story that I can do whatever with. No, it's, it's historical. This is something, this is factual, this is history. This is something that has happened. And so, um, and what Daniel is talking about here is with Jerusalem falling, right? So Jerusalem has been conquered. In that day and age, somebody put something right where I stand that is going to destroy me the whole time as I step on it. So, um, yeah, so you guys know how to play tricks on me now. Hey, just put something in the carpet. Nobody sees the lane. Um, anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, Jerusalem's fallen. Okay, so Daniel is saying, hey, yeah, Jerusalem has fallen. Well, in that day and age when that would happen, the way the people would talk about it as far as God was concerned is they would say, well, well the Jews, Judah, they have their God. Babylon has their gods. Babylon defeated Judah, therefore that means Babylon's gods are more powerful, right? So they've got the better gods. So we should worship those gods is the implication, right? But what does Daniel say? Daniel says our God gave us into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He says our God did it. Our God's in control. There's only one true God, Yahweh. He is the Lord. He is our God, and he's the one that said, you know what needs to happen now? Babylon wins. Judah, you're going into captivity. And so here Daniel is, most likely at this point he's a teenager. So can you imagine you're a teenager, and all of a sudden, like, another country comes, conquers your country, hauls you off, strips you away from all of your family, all of your friends, everybody you've known, hauls you to another country. And what we're going to see in a minute is they put you in a whole indoctrination program to make you one of their stewards. Can you imagine what that would be like to, to process and think through? And Daniel's way of processing this is to say, God's in control. God's in control. You see, when we hit hard times in our life, when we hit tough things in our life, we, we want to say, well, where is God in this? Or why, did, why, did God, why didn't he stop this? Or why, 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 why? And Daniel says, sometimes the answer is God did it. Because it's what needed to happen. And we can rest assured that whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is sovereign over that situation. As much as we might not like it, as much as we might struggle with it, 
God is still in control. We don't always understand his reasons. We don't always understand his purposes. We don't always understand the why. But we can know this and we can rest in this, that God is sovereign. He is in control. And he's even in control when we're going through very difficult things in our lives. This was really um, driven home to me. One time I was back at the church I was at in Alabama. There was a family that... Um, I was having lunch with this guy one day, and his, his family had really just gone through about as bad stuff as you can imagine. I mean, um, he had two sons. Um, one son uh, had gotten clean from drugs um, and then had a relapse and went back to using at the level that he used before, and his body could no longer handle it, and it killed him. Um, and his second son, um, one night, was you know, a teenager hanging out with some friends, not making the best choices, drinking some stuff they shouldn't have been drinking. And he decided, hey, I'm gonna put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger. And yet he didn't die. He just lost half of his head. And so his family then was left to take care of him, um, who he is still alive today, years later. He's been through tons of rehabs and all kinds of things but now they have a guy my size that they have to take care of all the time and I was having lunch with this dad after these things had happened and we were just talking you know generalities and things in life and and I was you know how are you doing that kind of thing and he told me he said Wayne unless God is in control I cannot make sense out of any of it. This man had come to the place where he was able to wrap his head around and deal with emotionally the facts of these horrible things that had happened in his life. I mean, losing one kid is enough to really mess anybody up, right? Much less having two horrible things like that happen with your two boys. And he said, the only way that I make it through the day, the only way that I make it through the next thing is I know the fact that God loves me and that he's in control. So even though I don't like my circumstances, I know that God is in control. And I was like, wow, if, that's, that's not just theoretical, right? That's not just, oh, well, the Bible says this. That's this guy saying, this is the only way I make it through the day. And I encourage you that if you are struggling with your situations in life right now, if you're struggling with difficult things, if you're struggling with hard times, I want to encourage you not to blame God, but to praise him in the fact that he is in control and rest in the fact that he has it taken care of and see how much better that works out for you in the end. Let's go on with Daniel now. So verse 3 says this. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, 
The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the, of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And so here we see this order from the king. He said, hey, take their best. Take their best and their brightest and bring them. And we're going to make them ours, right? So we're going to make our court smarter. We're going to make our people better. Um, so we're going to get their best engineers. We're going to get their best scientists. We're going to get their best philosophers. We're going to get all of the top people from their academic sphere. And we're going to bring them in so that they can serve our people and make our kingdom even better, right? And so this is, this is a new philosophy from what we've seen earlier on um, in conquering kingdoms, right? Because uh, earlier kingdoms, what would they do? Kill them all, right? Like, hey, this person was in the, the line to be king over this country. Take his head off. We don't want him leading anybody to, to come up against us. Well, the Babylonians have a different philosophy. Their philosophy is, hey, they've got skills. Let's use them, right? Um, and so that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. And Daniel and his three friends here are um, some of these that are identified as those with great potential. These are guys with leadership potential. These are guys with good qualities. They're smart. Um, and so what they want to do is they're saying, hey, we're going to bring them and we're going to make them one of us. And, and so he, he's telling them, hey, we're going to train you in all of the, these ways. You're going to eat food from my table, drink my wine. Um, oh, yeah. And by the way, we're going to change your names. Um, while we're at it, uh, you know, what's the big deal about a name change, right? Well, when we, we look into these names and what they mean, it is a big deal. Um, so Daniel most likely means God has judged or God is my judge. How fitting that Daniel means God has judged. And he starts his book with the fact God judged Judah and found them guilty, Right? He sent us into, he, he gave us over to Nebuchadnezzar. And what do they want to change his name to? Something else that, that points to Baal, points to, to their God. It says God will protect his life. It says Baal will protect his life is, is what uh, the name they try to change his name to means. Um, Hananiah means Jehovah or Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael um, could be understood to mean who. Who is what God is? Azariah means, um, carries the connection with it that Jehovah, Yahweh, has helped. So all four of their names are pointing to the one true God and how good he is. And then they strip them of these, these Yahweh names and they give them names that have references to their Babylonian gods. So either, either Marduk or, or Baal, that's the same, same Babylonian god. And then one named Nebo. Um, and so you can look up and, and each of those four names and the name changes what they, they mean. But the thing is, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, to say like, hey, your God couldn't save you, right? Daniel, God, God is judge? What? No, Baal protected your life. That's what you should be called because Baal spared you 
you could have been killed with everybody else, but you weren't. And so this is a good thing. You should come worship Baal, right? And this is the way that, that their culture around them, the situation around them is trying to strip them away of their faith. Strip them away of their belief in the one true God. And you see, this is what will happen to us today too. Our situations around us, our world around us is going to constantly want to say, hey, no, no, it's, it's not really about God. God's not really in control. That thing he just said about you're going through bad stuff, so worship God who's in control even though you're going through bad stuff, that's crazy, right? Like some of you in here probably had that thought. That's crazy. No way do I want to do that. And that's what's going to happen as you walk through life, especially if you're following Christ. Because those around you are going to want to try to pull you away from the faith. They're going to try to pull you away from being obedient to God. They're going to try to pull you away from following Jesus. And that's what is happening with Daniel and his friends here. Everything around them is trying to strip them down, strip them of their faith, saying, no, no, Yahweh, not that good. Baal, mm, good. Marduk, good. Yahweh, not good, right? And our world comes at us with the same thing. It doesn't put names on these false gods and say, hey, come worship these things. But it says, Hey, here, here are your possessions. Come worship this thing. Hey, here's your job. Come worship this thing. Hey, here, here is entertainment. Come worship this thing. And many times, those things might not even be bad things, but they're things that can strip us away from our focus being on the one true God and what he has done for us. And so... The thing we need to see from Daniel and the big point of chapter 1 here is this fact. is the fact that faithfulness to God is possible in any situation. Faithfulness to God is possible in any situation. Because let's see what Daniel um, does here. Verse, uh, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that, he, that they were in better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It's so funny with everything going on here. Like, did you catch what the guy in charge over them is called? The SV here calls him the chief of the eunuchs. Um... It could be that everybody under his charge was made a eunuch. If so, 
that's another big bash against Daniel. <laughs> a tough thing to go through as a teenage boy, right? Conquered and now castrated. Like, wow, that's great. Um, but we don't know for sure that that happened because that word can also just mean chief of the officials. So, um, so translators differ on what that means. So I don't want to make too big of a point out of that. But regardless, we're seeing Daniel being stripped away and all these things that are out of his control. And where, where does Daniel take his stand? On the food. Which part of that is all the rest of the things were things being done to him and coming at him from the outside that he didn't have a say in. But what you put in your mouth, you have a say in that, right? So he's saying, he says, hey, we're only going to eat vegetables, Vegetables and water, that's what we need. Now, we don't really know why he chose this diet. Um, we don't know why um, he goes, goes vegetarian here. Um, because, you know, Old Testament law, there was plenty of meats that were okay to eat. Um, and so we don't know why he didn't just say, like, hey, we can only eat these foods. Um, but he decides to go with just vegetables um, there's different speculations on this. Uh, one, the, the food could have likely been offered as a sacrifice to the gods of Babylon. Of Babylon. And while uh, this could have been a motive, um, it's likely that the vegetables also would have been considered a sacrifice. So it's not really a clear answer. Uh, another one is the, the king's food uh, would not have followed the Torah or the Old Testament law. Um, on which animals could be eaten and how they could be killed and prepared. Um, but still, why not just say, like, hey, this is the only animals we can have and how they can be prepared. Uh, number three, the king's food would signify rejoicing and celebration. That was part of eating at the king's table. And so while abstaining from it uh, would signify mourning, um, appropriate of being in exile. So that's, that's a good possibility. Another possible reason is that acceptance of the king's table would signify acceptance of the king. But what we see in the rest of the book of Daniel is Daniel never really goes against the kings. Um, he, he's really, he actually supports them most of the time. Like he's helping them out um, in many ways while giving glory to God. Um, a fifth reason is possibly that pagan food and drink uh, may simply epitomize the pagan uncleanness associated with exile. Don't know. We don't know why Daniel said, hey, this is only what we're going to eat. But what we do see is that it's clear between Daniel and God that this is what needs to happen. Because Daniel says, for me to be faithful to God, I'm going to say this is all I will eat. And, and so with that, he's making a stand and saying, no matter what's coming at me, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to follow God. And so we can see in this that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can be faithful to God as well. We might feel like we can't. Like, oh, there's a no-win situation. There's no way I can honor God in this. It's either this or that. No, you can always honor God. You can always follow him. You can always respect his wishes and what he would have you do in a situation. That opportunity is always there. The reason that we might not feel like it's always there is we don't want to bear the consequences culturally or society-wise if we follow God, right? 
Um, and I mean, Daniel literally has his life on the line here just simply by saying, I'm only going to eat vegetables and water. And not only that, the guy in charge over him says, hey, my life is on the line by you only eating vegetables and water. And one thing I love about Daniel as I've studied Daniel in the past is this guy has a lot of tact. Like, constantly through the book of Daniel, we see Daniel just walk into a situation and an irate king ready to kill everybody and just with a couple of sentences, he's got the guy calmed down and everything and he's like, here's what we're going to do. and Everything's going to be okay. We got this, man, you know? And so Daniel has this way of respectfully approaching authority who is contrary to God and saying, yeah, but let me, let me, let me bring you back in. Let me point you to, to, to God over here. You know, a lot of people when we get to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, one of the common questions is, well, where was Daniel when this happened, right? Because he's not with them. He doesn't get thrown in the furnace. We can almost guarantee he wasn't bowing down to the, to the image, well, I think it's that most by God's design that Daniel wasn't there because Daniel would have probably talked the guy out of throwing him in. Like when you just read Daniel and like all the things that he he says, like he just he's just so tactful. And so even here, right when we first start to see him, this guy's like, "Hey, if I if I adjust the king's orders on what he said that you should eat, he's going to cut my head off." Daniel's like, "God, just give us ten days, just ten days." We can try it. We can try it out, see how it works. And the guy's like, well, okay. Surely you can't starve too much in 10 days, right? And Daniel has this ability to just be respectful to people while pointing them in the right direction. And I think that's something in our day, in our culture, that we could use a lot more of. Instead of just being people who are, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Minigo, I don't care if you throw me in a furnace. God can handle it, right? Like, that's basically what they say. But to be the Daniel that can, can be soft, be rational, and yet follow God. And that's a great sign of maturity and depth in the Christian life is when you can get to that point. I think that's what our culture really needs a lot more of from us instead of just yelling back and forth. So how, how does this work out? Well, we already saw at the end of the 10 days, they were looking better. And so, so the, this guy, you know, can you imagine the rest of the guys around Daniel? Because what it says here is he took all of their food away too and said, you're getting only vegetables. Can you imagine being one of those guys? It's like, wow, thanks a lot, you four. Man, we had, it, we had it eaten good. Now we're eating our, our food's food. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, 
And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so here we see that God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. Daniel said, I'm going to be faithful to God. They're trying to point me to Baal. They're trying to point me to these other gods and all of this. And they're trying to strip my name. They're trying to make me eat like them, be a part of them, every, everything with them. And I, no, I'm going to worship and be faithful to God. What does God do? God rewards that faithfulness. And now I'm not preaching some kind of like prosperity gospel, like, hey, you do things God's way, everything's going to be great. Daniel's still in captivity. He's still hauled off into exile. He still has tough things in his life. But in the midst of that, he's being faithful and God rewards him. What, and how does God reward him? He rewards him with understanding. He rewards him with knowledge. And what we're going to see as we walk through the book of Daniel is that these gifts that he gets from God right here at the beginning are what's going to carry him through his whole life. Where he's able to understand dreams and interpret dreams and, and all kinds of other things. It's these gifts that ultimately we're going to see in the, the last six, six chapters of the book that are, are gifts even to us where God gave Daniel visions and dreams that that point us to what the future even looks like for us today. And so as we, we continue in to Daniel, just be reminded of this, that God does reward faithfulness. Okay? And so if you're, you're in a place where you're like, hey, I don't really know what to do, go, go with being faithful to God and let him deal with the rest of it. Let him deal with the with all of the other circumstances around it. And in my life, what I've found is when I do that, those things that I was worried about or whatever, he seems to just kind of take care of them, where they're not really that big of a deal anymore when I choose to follow him and be faithful to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for Daniel's example um, and just for his willingness to say, no, I'm going to follow God. And Lord, I pray that you give us that level of boldness today, that level of faithfulness today, to be able to say, no, I'm following God. No matter what the world is pulling us at, into or wanting us to do or not do or whatever, Lord, I pray that we are faithful to follow after you. And Lord, I pray that you will give us the blessing of the wisdom and the tact and the discernment that Daniel shows. And Lord, I just pray that you will will be with us as we walk faithfully with you, sometimes in a world that feels much the same as Daniel, where we feel like we're in exile, where we feel like we're pulled away from you, but yet you are right there with us, and we thank you for that. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.